Welcome to Calvary Albuquerque. We pursue the God who is passionately pursuing a lost world. We do this with one another. Through worship, by the word, to the world. Victor Marx had a troubled childhood. His biological father preferred pimping and dealing drugs to child-rearing. His four stepfathers were criminals and alcoholics. He attended 14 schools and lived in 17 houses by the time he graduated from high school. The U.S. Marines gave some structure to his crazy life, and martial arts became a means to vent his anger. Victor's story is the saga of a life damaged beyond human hope and the power of a mighty God to fully deliver and restore him through the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ. Today, Victor is the founder and president of All Things Possible, a national faith-based organization, and he's been working with troubled youth for two decades. Please give a warm welcome to our guest speaker, Victor Marks. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for today. And God, I thank you for each person that you've brought out. Lord, those who are walking strong with you and and enduring the warfare and furthering your kingdom. And Lord, I pray for those who they may be struggling a little bit with doubts and challenges and fears that have overcome them. I pray that you'd set them free this morning. Lord, I I pray for those who came here today and they just flat did not want to. But some um, somebody got them here. Lord, bless them. Would you surprise them? Big time. And we give you all the glory. And we do pray, Lord, you can camp your warring angels around this sanctuary. A seamless canopy of your blood. Keep the wicked one far from us as we receive. We ask, Lord, that you would rebuke the enemy. And every one of his minions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For those of you, while I was praying, saw that my eyes were open. Why were your eyes open? No, we spent a lot of our time, our ministry was based to focus on um, our America's troubled and abused youth. That's why we formed the ministry called All Things Possible. And uh, so we spent a lot of time in uh, juvenile prisons. (laughs) So I don't close my eyes when I pray. (laughs) Just being for reals. You feel me? I don't know, the first juvenile facility I spoke at, somebody goes, you ought to come share your story, because I'm a late bloomer. Uh, although I got saved around 20, I didn't, I didn't really start telling all my testimony like I'm gonna do this morning until I was in, in my late 30s. I had a little testimony with a little bow on it. But the Lord did a good work in me, because you know, He does require a return for His investment on us. Do you all know that? It's like anything. Uh, so I agreed to go and speak at a gym. I was nervous, though. He was like, come and talk. I said, well, who's going to be there? He says, well, kids who've been arrested, they're locked up. I'm like, oh, for what? <laughs> he said, you know, drugs, thugging, gangbang, stealing, raping, murdering. 
I was like, why don't you go talk to him? I came from that lifestyle. I don't want none. He says, come on. So I did, and I was nervous, and he could tell I was nervous. So he said, Victor, why don't you do your martial art thing? Because I have a background in martial arts. And and uh, so I tried to do this nunchuck deal, you know, two sticks. Bruce Lee made it popular. That. And I had this guy hold something in his hands and then something in his mouth. And my shoulder was messed up, so I probably shouldn't have done it. But I swung, I knocked the first thing out in one hand, second thing out. When I went to swing for his mouth, <clears throat> I missed. <clears throat> yeah, I hit him. Pretty good. Split him open on his chin. He leaned forward and was bleeding everywhere, right in front of everybody. And I was like, I mean, I never hit anybody accidentally with those things. And, uh, I remember going, God, really? And that split second as I'm drenched in sweat and thinking, you want me to come evangelize and I'm, I'm taking people down. What, what is this, Lord? You messed up. Isn't that funny how we blame God for everything, good and bad? Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, yeah, I won the lottery. Things go bad. What's wrong with you, Lord? Man, I, but you know, God can redeem even the worst, right? And I hope you go away with it, cause, cause this, when I walked into that juvenile facility, maximum security, max, there was 75 kids like this. I mean, they're like, you better bring it, white wonder bread. <laughs> Ugh, you know, flashing game. <laughs> and that was just the girls. And I'm like, uh, <clears throat> I'm like, man, the chicas are rough today. <laughs> so I'm like, gosh, uh, uh, but you know, it's crazy. All those kids sitting there like this. After I hit that guy and he's bleeding, I turn around and I look at all of them. They're like this. <laughs> this dude crazy, man. And then I, I felt the surge of power from God on high. I'm swinging them. I said, somebody's going to get saved today. I'll tell you right now. Tactically creative evangelism. Hurrah. God can redeem anything. Most of the time, though, we're just Christians. We're just too fearful to step out. Why do you get quiet? Because it's true, am I right? The enemy uses fear in our life. Look at this scripture. 2 Timothy 1.7. Paul exhorting his little mentee. Timothy, and he says, Timothy, listen, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Can you imagine? It's like right before a play goes on, right before in military terms you're about to engage contact with the enemy or law enforcement, you're about to breach a door. God's not given us a spirit of fear. But a power, love, and a sound mind. Let's do this thing. Let's do this. Hmm? And uh, the enemy uses fear. Yeah, he uses fear any way he can to stop us. Even even when we started this ministry, you know, it's the same thing. I actually, we were suffering for the Lord over in Hawaii. You know, we had... <laughs> Somebody got to read some natives. So, I, you know... 
Now, we lived in a rainforest. I had ownership in a construction company, two martial arts schools. We had a TV show. We did well by the world standards. I worked about eight hours a week. We, we, we enjoyed life. <laughs> really did. And then the Lord said, hey, come follow me. I was like, but I do, Lord. I love you. I followed you here. <laughs> the islands. And he said, ah, you talk discipleship. Time to live it in a greater way. Okay. And we, we obeyed the Lord. And it wasn't pretty. I'll tell you right now. You know those footprints in the sand? Mine was like hill marks in the sand. I feel like the Lord was dragging me to the mainland. But we did leave, we obeyed, we came over, and our first position was with a, a ministry called Focus on the Family. Uh, and uh, I had the privilege to be an assistant to Dr. James Dobson, which was wonderful and also showed me how messed up I was. So, but God did a work in my life, and that's how it all led to us going to that facility. And people say, how do you really know God showed you to start reaching trouble and abuse youth? Well, three months before we go into the facility, I'm there. Uh, with my wife, we go out on a date, a date night. How many of you wives like dates? Yeah, see that man? They still like being dated. Okay, not a roommate, but dated. We, we need to woo our women all the time. Flowers. Ooh, and I'm looking at them eyes saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> Am I right, ladies? Am I right? Come on. Sometimes you women just have to help the guys out. We, you know, we get so focused on providing, protecting, and we forget the romance. You know, so look, grab your little peanut jar, try to open up like, honey, can you watch what your man does. Stand back, babe. See, that's how we are. Men need something to battle for, fight for. Hey, ladies, your husbands will slay dragons for you. Make sure you encourage them to. And then let them know you affirm them for doing it. Because every day he goes out, he's slaying dragons spiritually and even sometimes physically in this world. Does that make sense? Because there's wickedness out there. Affirm you, man. There should be nobody closer than your spouse to you. There should be no other best friends. It should be your spouse. And, and, and ladies, you need a war for your man and be ready at all times. Can he come and trust you? Does his heart safely rest in you? You know, one time I spoke in an event that I didn't realize till later, but it was a, it was people that had sexual addictions and whatnot, but I didn't I didn't know till I got there. And, and after I spoke, I was like, "Whoa, that was pretty heavy." And, uh, and then I remember going home, and then I started getting crazy, wicked, vile, demonic thoughts, lustful. I mean, and I battled with it. I was like, "Oh Lord, help me!" And it just wouldn't break. After about three days of this, three days, of this, I said, "Dear God, I can't take this anymore." I mean, I can just see my life being blown apart, marriage, ministry. I mean, make it stop. He goes, do you, you really want to be free? Yes. Tell your wife. It, Lord, is there a plan B? Is there? I, my wife's a second-degree black belt. You want me to tell her I'm struggling with lots of lungs? 
He said, not only tell her, have her pray for you, anoint you with oil. Do it. And I was like, all right. I was that desperate. And I went and found my wife and said, honey, I need you to pray for Mari. You know, and she's doing something, you know, life giver, house. I said, no, honey, I need you to pray for me right now. God said, pray for me and anoint me with oil. She's like, oh, well, sit down. What's going on? I said, I've been struggling three days of evil, vile, lustful, wicked thoughts. She goes, oh. <laughs> Anoint you? I'll be right back. <laughs> she went downstairs. I thought she was going to get the little Israeli oil anoint. Mom, my mama Mia brings back a full-on, I don't know, it was Crisco oil or something, olive oil. <laughs> and she does this. <laughs> it's dripping over my head. I'm scared. And then she prays, in the name of Jesus, I command every demonic force that's been assigned to my husband to break loose. You cannot have this man, his mind, he's a child of God, he's a warrior. And she just, boom, 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 boom. I was like, I was scared. I knew the demons had to be scared. (laughs) And after she prayed, it was peace. Peace. It left. Never came back. Wives, I'm just telling y'all, we need you. Do you understand? No matter how we act, we need you. We need your affirmation. We need you to peanut butter jar us, all that type of stuff. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a, a sound mind. The fact that my wife and I have been married 25 years with five children and never cheated or been cheated on is a miracle. It's a miracle. Why? Because I'm the third, I mean, three generations in my family, I'm the only one that's done this. And you think it's just because of willpower? No. There's no way. I don't, I don't have the mental fortitude to stand against the wiles of the wicked one. Do you understand? Now, I would be nothing but continuing the cycle of a crazy life that's so dysfunctional. From my, well, we didn't even function. That's how bad it was. And you know what? What God has done for me, He can absolutely do for you. Regardless of what stage of life in you're in. It doesn't matter if you're single, married, on your eighth marriage. It doesn't matter. God can stop a cycle and arrest craziness and bring peace and order into the chaotic life that you live right now. It's a promise. And the fact that you may not even believe it doesn't even, it's still true. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Why did I fear so much? Why was I driven by fear? It's because the way I was raised and the worldview that developed from my mind. See, my mother and dad, when she got pregnant for me that night, he put a pistol to her head and shoved rosary beads down her throat. That's how I was conceived. Both coming from opposite stories. My mother came from an abusive background. She just continued the cycle of craziness. Thinking if she married a messed up man, she could fix him. And somehow fix that little girl in her that suffered. My dad's biological dad died in a mental hospital. My own dad had to go to the same mental hospital. I just thought it was part of our legacy. Like a timeshare or something. I figured I'm going to go there one day. It's our name on the wall. 
my mother would marry six times and, and, and horribly drag us kids through craziness and instability. And then when she was pregnant from me, my dad said, that, that ain't mine. So I knew rejection from the beginning. And y'all, don't kid yourself. Rejection is a wound that will tear you alive until it's dealt with and healed. Because if you've been rejected, you'll always look for affirmation. You'll always look for, for someone to accept you. And you'll do it in the wrong ways just to get it. Single gals, can I talk to y'all? So oftentimes because of the lack of fathering or love or nurturing, you, you feel that rejection and that wound and, and therefore you set out to be accepted. And, and you will, you'll do about anything to get accepted, including compromise what you even know is wrong, what you even feel shamed for. I'm here to tell you gals, purity, you're worth it. And don't sleep with any guy. I don't care how much he says. And, oh, and, oh, you know I love you. <laughs> I, Mama Sita Chula. <laughs> For you Irish people. <laughs> if he loves you, you're worth this. If you're good enough for sex, you're good enough for this. And you'll never experience real genuine intimacy until it's this. And where you can pray and say, Lord, please bless our time. And you're worth waiting for. And guys, <laughs> some of you uh, just drank a cup of haterade. I can see it in your face. <laughs> Don't be mad at me. It's what the Word of God says. It's one of the big Ten Commandments. Because you know what? If everybody waited the way God designed things, you know how much our world would be different? There wouldn't be the abortions. There wouldn't be the STDs. There wouldn't be the kids who feel rejected. And every troubled youth who's been abused and craziness, he would be at home with a dad who loves him. And a five-year-old boy would have never been sexually assaulted and left in a commercial cooler for dead. And that was me. I don't speak out of some ivory tower. I speak out of pain that God has entered into and helped me and shown me that I'm loved and I'm valued just like you are, every one of you. He came to set the captives free, and so many times the enemy just builds the cage, but we step into it and shut the door because we believe his lies. And Jesus says, come on. I got better for you. You can trust and obey him. The fear messed me up most of my life. Why? I was dunked in a tub till I passed out, only to have my stepfather. I woke up to him breathing in my mouth on that cold bathroom floor, dripping wet, and him saying, Boy, don't you ever forget I'm the one who gives you life. Or the fact that I hold the world record for the fastest gun that's on. You can see it on YouTube. There's a million of views. It's, it's what's got me before. Amazing warriors to train and befriend from SEAL Team Operators to Delta Force to CIA to 
Force recon. Somebody puts a pistol to my head, pulls the hammer back and their finger on the trigger. With my hands down, I can snatch the weapon, pull the magazine out and point it back at them in eight tenths of a second. I just had a Delta Force guy email me and say, Victor, I had to rewind that thing because I blinked. But you know what's greater than doing it is to let you know the reason why. What drove me to that? A stepfather when I was seven years old put a pistol to my head. Hammer back, finger on the trigger, and I could see the rounds. He would tap me to the side of my head and say, boy, if you ever tell anybody what I've done, I'll blow your brains out and tell the police you shot yourself accidentally. Those are lies that I call lies based in reality. And those are the hardest ones to dig out. Hmm? And people say, you know, the hardest question, because, you know, they say, well, if your parents were messed up, but one of my, my stepfather who did all the craziness, he went to prison. And then he escaped. And he fled the country, and they never caught him. He was on the NBC Nightly News with Tom Brokaw. We were like, hey, there's our daddy. <laughs> Eighth grade was the best three years of my life. No. Or what about my other stepfather, 15 years old, I find out, and I'm insecure as all get out, but, but I'm going to stand up against him because he's the next guy in the house. And uh, he saw I had crazy eyes. Like, so he, he opened the back door of the trailer. He said, boy, get in my face again. I'll take you outside. I'll beat you like a man. You won't be a man. I'll beat you. And I was so angry. I knew I couldn't whoop him, but I know I'm going to hit him one time. Maybe we're walking down the steps. And then I'll take my shellacking. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. That the beating is worth getting a hit in. It's a horrible lifestyle to have that much of your heart sealed off and hard. God never designed us for that. You know what I tell young men and young ladies? There's a difference between being tough and hard. I just told a ranger today, I said, man, when you're deployed, I said, you don't have to hate the enemy to kill him. That's a heavy concept, but for those who have to take a target out that would kill innocent people. That's something they need to hear. I speak to I speak to vets all over the country in active military. Don't let hate make you hard. It's not how God designed you. He designed you to be loving, peaceful. Does that make sense? I'm gonna tell you something right now. The things that God has shown me in the area of of forgiveness has been the biggest, I'll say, weapon in my arsenal. Because being able to forgive has set me free in ways I can't even begin to explain. But it took seeing God's hand and His faithfulness. But you know one of the hardest questions I ever asked God? And it was a counselor that asked me. Yeah, I see a counselor. I've seen a counselor. I've seen one 123 times. I've been on all them drugs. Depakote, Depakine, Prozac, Zoloft, Lithium, Bar, some more. I started doing drugs in the sixth grade. <laughs> it's funny when you hear psychiatrists say, young man, your brain will never fully function because of the acute trauma you've experienced. 
And in my smart alecky self, I said, well, my brain never functioned anyway. Keep paying your student loans, doctor. I'm so glad that there's this. That when man says it's impossible, God says, not with me. Not with me. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a daily thing for me. And I don't mind being on a short lease because it keeps me close to the Lord. But he doesn't give me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And one of the things that, one of the hardest questions I ever asked with God, that counselor asked me, he said, well, hey, Victor, if God is so good and he loves all the little children of the world, why did he let you get hurt so bad? And I told him, shut up. And man, I, I mean, I started getting uncomfortable. I said, shut your mouth right now. He said, why don't you ask him? I says, I, you know, listen here. God, God does love the little children. It's just, it's the ones in Ethiopia that he was attending to. So what if I got beat or electrocuted or whatever? I survived. There's other, he said, I don't think that's the truth, Vic. Why didn't he help you? Where was he? He said, ask him. He just may tell you. It took me two years to have the courage to ask God, where were you? And when I did, it changed my perspective. It changed my thinking about God. In a particular instance that God showed me, I remember seeing it so clear. I was in the room of my stepfather, laying on the bed, degraded by it, just laying there in my underwear, with my arms stretched out. He pulled out a belt, and he's got a beer, and he's going to whoop me for no good reason. And the way he would hit us, he would hit you, bam, and he'd wait. He'd wait for all those tight muscles. As a kid, you're anticipating the next hit. He'd wait for you to relax. And then he'd hit you again. And you'd tense up. And he'd wait. Because all he wanted to do was break your mind. And I said, God, where were you? Lord, where were you? And I saw the room. And I saw me. And I saw my stepfather holding that beer. Every, all the senses and sights and I could see it. I even saw the green shag carpet. That's traumatic enough right there. <laughs> I saw the window, the bathroom, the closet. I said, where were you, Lord? And then I saw an image of, of the Lord appear right between me and my stepfather. And my heart jumped with joy. I said, yes. Touch his heart now. Blow his, blow his heart out. Make him die. Before he hits me. But if that would have happened, that would not have been truth. That would have been my own fantasy. What happened next was truth. As my stepfather read back to hit me, Jesus stepped in between us. Facing me, I saw him kneel gently. And he placed his body on top of mine. And his body meshed into me right before I got hit. And every hit I got, Jesus took the hardest part and gave me the leftovers. That's love. When God Almighty will enter into our pain, that's what really happened. God never causes evil to happen to little kids. Allowing man to have his free will is one thing. Causing is different. 
And Jesus even steps into that pain with you. You are not alone. And God's heart broke for you. Just like it broke for me. Don't blame God. You blame the wickedness of man. And the, and, and the father of evil. The father of lies. One of the things I know that keep people from really coming to the relationship with God. And, and, and them saying, I'm not going to forgive. Because real forgiveness is giving up your right to hurt someone for hurting you. And look, gals, one in three girls will be sexually molested by the time she's 18. One in three. And one in five boys. It is an epidemic. You can trace so much of addictions and divorce and violence back to that. And that's why I'm out to help stop it. Evil does exist, and I know a lot of men who say, I'm never going to forgive that person who done wrong or done my loved one wrong. Matter of fact, if I get to them, I'll crack them. But I'm here to show you right now, no evil deed ever goes unpunished. And if a person doesn't respond to the goodness of God through the cross of Jesus Christ, they will stand before him in judgment and receive the penalty due of their wickedness. Every person. It is a cross alone that makes us justified from our sin because of Jesus Christ's blood that was shed. So you can trust God to exact perfect judgment that is eternal on those who have done you wrong or those you love. A friend of mine who's a special operator and one of the best man hunters I know, we watched my film together and he, he started snot crying. I was like... What's up? He said, man, I never told anybody this. He said, I never told anybody this, but he goes, I was horribly abused, lived in foster care homes, and he said, man, I'm, I'm just, he said, but I did allow God to take my drivenness for revenge and turn it to protecting the innocent. And he said, Vic, you've been a, a friend. He said some nice things to me. But he said, I want you to have this. I, just, I said, have what? He said, let me get it. He went down to the basement. I was like, basement? That makes me nervous right there. And then he brought this back. And he put this tile on the table. And he said, I want you to have this. I said, thank you. <laughs> this is a tile. And he laughed. He said, yeah, but. He said, I took it out of Osama bin Laden's headquarters in Afghanistan after we bombed it. And I want you to have it. And then he showed me a picture of him in his rut gear. All, all suited up, smiling, holding it. I said, this is mine. <laughs> and I jokingly, you know, I told him, man, I'm honored. Thank you, brother. And uh, I said, well, if the ministry gets low on money, I know I can put that on eBay. And then he said, you'll never hear the drone hit your car. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? He said, none. God will get exact justice. You can trust him. But he calls us to forgive. And I'll tell you, I'm going to close with this. And uh, I said it last service. I'll tell you now, I don't like telling my story. I honestly don't. 
There's a whole lot of things I could be doing easier. I could be in the corporate world. I could be strictly work speaking on corporate events. I had somebody fly me out. They, they said, we'll, we'll fly you on a private jet and pay you $15,000 to speak for 20 minutes. And I said, hey, you can't buy me. I'm not about the money. I'm about the message. What time y'all want me there? <laughs> hey, I got to get money for the ministry somehow. Them juvenile prisons ain't paying us. And we got another mission. And I will ask y'all for prayer before I close with this story. But please pray for us. We've been invited and asked at the highest levels you can imagine to go into a Muslim country and reach their abused kids on a large scale and actually do a documentary film exposing the abuses of children and the effects of trauma in the Muslim world. And, uh, yeah, I... Right now, we've even got it lined up. I don't know if it'll work, but we've got it lined up to, to interview a known terrorist who's with an organization to explain why he turned violent because of abuse from his childhood to show the connection. It's heavy. I mean, it's so heavy that I just, I've got a, uh, we're working on a security detail with some former Delta Force operators to get me in and out like a military operation. Insertion, extraction, protection, get out. And we don't even know the blowback once that film hits. Now, I knew know this. The Lord asked me, are you willing to give up your life for the gospel? And I worked through it. And believe me, there ain't nothing super sane about me. I was just like, <laughs> hmm. But I said, all right, Lord. If that's if just, are you willing? I said, I, yeah, I'm willing. Because I need to be willing before I go over there. I can't operate in fear. And I had to talk to my wife. And I said, honey, are you willing to become a, a widow for the gospel if it comes to that? And my dear bride started crying for about 30 seconds. <laughs> and she wiped her tears and said, this is the exact words. Well, how long are we here on earth anyway, babe? I was like, Wow. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> Sparta! She's like, come back with your shield on it, babe, but go advance the kingdom of God. I know I'm a few minutes over and I'll close with this and I, boy, I just, I, I don't like, I don't like telling this part, but it's important. Ugh. Um, God called me and told me. He didn't call me. I mean, it was, oh, I got a text, rather. No, uh, you read his word. It's like getting texts from God. Amen? You're like, <laughs> But he said, you need to find your stepfather, the one that abused you. And you need to forgive him to his face. He'd gone to prison. He, he's the one that escaped. He actually turned himself in. He did all of his time, and I did find him. And I, oh my gosh. And he tried to intimidate me as a man. Because the last he seen us, I mean, as kids, we escaped through a window of the house because he had a gun. We were hiding in a closet. And here I am facing him. He tries to intimidate me. I said, that ain't going to work. I'm a full-grown man. I ain't no kid in a closet. I'm a Marine. 
I'm a master of martial arts. <laughs> I can see you just had open heart surgery. I see your fresh scar. Well, I can unzip you. Sorry. <laughs> oh, like you never have Old Testament thoughts. Come on. It ain't all New Testament around here. But God gave me the opportunity to be with him as he was dying. I actually brought him to the hospital. He was dying. He was dying fast. The doctor said he don't have long. And, and I, I told him he's laying in bed. I said, now, you know you're dying. I don't know how many days you have, but I said, when you die, you are going to hell. You've rejected Jesus Christ all your life, but he still loves you enough to send me to tell you that. I said, can I read scripture to you? He said, you go ahead if you want, boy. And I'd come in every day, my wife, we, and I'd read scriptures to him about Jesus and the cross and forgiveness. And he'd never say nothing. And then the last night before I'd never see him anymore, I woke up about four in the morning and I can't explain it outside to say it's supernatural. And I started praying for his salvation, really praying, interceding beyond me. And I got down on my knees and I started weeping, begging God to save that man's soul because his body was gone. My wife prayed with me and I couldn't believe it because I know me. And I went in the next day, he had a new nurse, and he's laying there in bed. He could barely talk, and he said, hey, nurse. He said, hey, this, this is my son. This is my boy. He said, I'm proud of him. I never heard them words in my life. He said, he, he, he became a preacher man. He said, the only one out of any of us. Uh, uh. He said, he'd been worried about my eternity, but he don't have to worry no more. He said, I made it right with God last night. It was such a holy moment. The nurse walked out of the room graciously, and I said, well, God, certainly it's all happened. I can see now why you brought me back into this man's life. What do you want me to say? Because I'm done. It was very simple. The Lord said, tell him you love him. I said, Dad, I love you. He looked up at me. He said, boy, I love you too. It felt good. I'm not going to lie to y'all. felt good. I never heard any words from him. Even though he was a stepdad to me, he was the only dad I knew as a kid. Because my biological dad had abandoned us. You know, nobody else was in the room and he said that, so I... I figured it was done, so I grabbed a pillow. And I just, no, I didn't do that. I did not do that. I did, that's wrong. You don't want to do that after somebody gets saved. They're going to go to heaven anyway. You don't have to rush the process. Not only he did get free, I got free too. And so can you. And you know what? Remember that dad that rejected me? He was actually the one that wrote me a letter. When I was 20 in the Marine Corps saying he was sorry for never being a dad. My biological dad. And he told me he got born again. He got saved. God touched his life. And when I got married, he was my best man in the wedding. Only God can do that.
What can he not do in your life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for today and each person. And, Lord, I know through my story that you've given me, Lord, that there's so many still wondering, why were they put in a family? Why did bad things happen? And, God, I pray in this closing prayer, Lord, that this poem would touch people's hearts. Please listen to this poem by Russell Kelfer. You are who you are for a reason. You're part of an intricate plan. You're a precious and perfect, unique design called God's special woman or man. You look like you look for a reason. Our God made no mistake. He knit you together within the womb just what he wanted to make. The parents you had were the ones he chose. And no matter how you may feel, they were custom designed with God's plan in mind. And they bear the master seal. Know the trauma you faced wasn't easy. And God wept that it hurt you so. But it was allowed to shape your heart so that into his likeness you'd grow. You are who you are for a reason. You've been formed by the master's rod. You are who you are, beloved, because there is a God. What binds us together is devotion to worshiping our Heavenly Father, dedication to studying His Word, and determination to proclaim our eternal hope in Jesus Christ. For more teachings from Calvary Albuquerque and Skip Heitzig, visit calvaryabq.org.